Easter Sunday. It was quite a relief to a rather gloomy weekend. The sorrow of Good Friday death crushes the dreams, the hopes of a small band of Jesus followers. They had sacrificed everything, giving him the three best years of their lives. Saturday only increases their fears. They observe the inactivity of Sabbath rest. And then the surprise of Sunday, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Children have a way of capturing a story and reflecting it back to us in such a way that it causes us to see that story in a new light. Anita, an 11-year-old, prayed this honest prayer. She said, Dear Jesus, I want to thank you for going up there on the cross for us every Good Fridays. You must be real happy when the weekend's over. <laughs> Thanks, Anita. Jesus is risen. The cross is the symbol of Christianity. In the ancient Roman world, the cross meant death, absolute failure. In the Jewish world, it was a curse. It meant abandonment by God. Today, it's worn with pride. It tells the story of our redemption, what it cost to restore the world back to its rightful order. The cross stands in the space between heaven and earth, and joins the two together. The curtain in the temple was ripped in half at Jesus' death. That holy of holies place where only one person at one time of the year could go and enter has been opened up. Heaven and earth have been joined together. That space is no longer separated from us. The breach made in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve chose to choose to become a god rather than to worship the true God, that breach is healed. The deceiver, the angel of darkness, the angel of death has been defeated. A new reality has been born. The prayer Jesus taught his disciples, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven has been fulfilled on the cross. The cross is a symbol of victory. The empty tomb, a sign that something new has begun, a new era, a new time is upon us. Jesus' death and resurrection defeated sin, evil, and death, bringing our crooked world back into straightness. The last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, is written by John, a disciple of Jesus, and he found himself on the island of Patmos, just off the coast of Turkey. And it was on a Sunday, resurrections, it was on a Sunday that he has a vision of Jesus, and when he sees Jesus, he collapses at his feet. And the last time he had seen Jesus, when Jesus ascended into heaven, and he saw him disappear in the clouds, and Jesus spoke to him now, and he records this in Revelation chapter 1. Jesus said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. The God of love has triumphed over evil. And the proof is the resurrection. A new world was born the day Jesus walked out of the grave. 
The keys he holds are the keys that will free you. These keys will unlock the hidden places, the shameful places of your life and set you free. These keys will open the door of your prison. This is no myth, no sleight of hand magic trick. This is a marvel. This is the marvel of the resurrection. In fall, David Blaine put together a, a magic show called Beyond Magic. It took him two years to put this ABC, one-hour ABC special together. And it begins with him on a bridge, and he takes someone's smartphone, and he tosses it over the railing into the water below, only to have that phone reappear in someone's handbag close by. He then does some mind reading and some tricks with, with cards. He catches a bullet with his teeth. That particular trick misfired in January and almost was killed. After watching him perform his magic, making things disappear and reappear, reading people's minds, I heard one of the participants say, if you started a religion, I would follow it. And, and I didn't know if I heard that right, and so I, I pushed that, that skip back button on the remote. And, and, and I listened again, and, and, and I heard it. If you started a religion, I would follow it. There's something powerful about magic. Reading minds, making things disappear and reappear, catching bullets with your teeth. That, that grabs people's attention. Even more, it grabs their imaginations. Many of us want to believe in a power beyond ourselves. And so when we're confronted by someone who seems to have the ability to do things that are out of this world, we're willing to say, if you started a religion, I would follow it. Jesus' career started in a similar way with a bang. In the Gospel of John, John chapter 6, we're told that People were flocking to Jesus. Wherever he went, crowds followed. Why? Because of the miraculous signs performed. Miracles were not unlike magic in the ancient world. Miracles, magic, attracted crowds. If a card trick will get someone to say, if you started a religion, I would follow it, what do you think healing the sick would do? If you read further on in, in John chapter 6, in verse 2, we have the crowd surrounding and following Jesus wherever he goes. But by the time you get to verse 66, and it's a long chapter, 71 verses, you discover that the crowds are deserting him. And by the time you get to Good Friday, there are only a few women and John left to watch him die. And no one was saying, if you started a religion, I would follow it. One writer made this observation about life and story. He said, each of us needs a story that is powerful and truthful enough to break through the illusions that are part of our personal and social lives. We need a story powerful enough to move us forward, to get us out of bed, to help us see past the illusions and magic that distract us from the truth. We need a story that grabs our imaginations, makes making phones reappear, reading people's minds, catching bullets in your teeth will hold a crowd for only so long. At the most, 
until the next great sensation comes along. Jesus' death sent his followers running for cover, a promising messianic career cut short. Richard Beck, a professor of psychology and a thoughtful follower of Jesus, had his world turned upside down when he began going to a maximum, maximum security prison just north of Abilene, Texas. These men he called the men in white because in Texas, prisoners wore white. And there's 50 of them that would gather together for the Bible studies that he was leading. And it happened the week that he began teaching the Beatitudes to the men in white. Matthew chapter 5 begins, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Richard knew something was wrong immediately after saying, Blessed are the meek. You're not buying this stuff, are you? He said. It's not that we don't agree with what you're saying, they replied. You just can't do that stuff here. In here, meekness is mistaken for weakness. It was clear what was meant. In prison, weak, the weak got hurt. Inside a maximum security prison, weakness is dangerous. You can't do that stuff in here. That shook Richard to the core, and as he reflected on the conversation, he realized that there was a force, a dark force, Evil was real. Dave, in a message a number of weeks ago in our series in Ecclesiastes, he quoted Stephen Pressfield. And Stephen Pressfield said, the, uni the universe is not indifferent. It is actively hostile. And Dave went on to say that there's a resistance, a struggle to life. It is not of this world. The Bible describes it this way. In Ephesians chapter 6, put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. The resistance is real, Paul says. Evil is real. Richard Beck discovers in a Texas prison, sin is real. But Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross broke the resistance. 1 John 3. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. And then the writer of Hebrews, he, he adds to this picture. In chapter 3, he says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all those who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. This is what happened on the cross. The resistance was broken, and then we can understand what Jesus said in John 3:16 when he says, This is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, and this is why? So that no one be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all this trouble sending his son merely to point an accusing finger 
telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. But the story doesn't end on Good Friday. There's nothing good about Friday if there's no Easter Sunday. Nobody follows a dead Messiah. Nobody's going to look at Jesus hanging on the cross and say, if you started a religion, I would follow it. The cross without Easter Sunday, the crucifixion without the resurrection is just another political execution of a misguided soul, a would-be Messiah. A fellow by the name of Paul who happened to write a, a good chunk of the New Testament has much to say about the resurrection. He wrote a letter to a group of young Christians in the city of Colossae, and this is what he had to say to these young Christians. He said, if it's an initiation ritual you're after, you've already been through it by submitting to baptism. Going under the water was a burial of your old life. Coming up out of it was a resurrection. God raising you from the dead as he did Christ. The reason why we baptize people, burying them under the water and then raising them back up out of the water is, first of all, this is what happened to Jesus. His death and resurrection. But it also shows what happens to us when we put our faith in Jesus. We die to ourselves. It's buried, but we're raised to a new life in Christ. But Paul continues. When you were struck and you, stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. And now Paul begins describing what happened on the cross. This is what happened. He, God, stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the street. Amen? Amen. Paul takes an image from his world this is what happened to defeated rulers in the ancient world. They were stripped naked and marched through the street. Why? To reveal their impotence, their foolishness, their insanity. For in weakness, God destroyed the enemy's power over us. Jesus' death and resurrection have broken the power of Satan and evil and sin. When we declare that Jesus is risen, he's risen indeed. We're announcing the beginning of a new time, a new era. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that lives in us. Easter Sunday is a declaration that not only has heaven arrived on earth, it's transforming it as we speak. Richard Beck was reminded each time he went into that Texas maximum prison, when he sat with those men in white and, and taught them God's word, he was reminded there was a resistance in this place. And in the words of Stephen Pressfield, the prison is not indifferent. It is actively hostile. Richard Beck had no idea how meekness could ever win out in a maximum security prison, how meekness could be seen as the flourishing life, the blessed life, and today, until the day he found himself teaching the story of Jesus washing the feet of his, of his disciples. 
So he was reading through that story in John chapter 13. And he told of how everyone was sitting around waiting for the Passover meal to be served in the upper room. And Jesus gets up from the table and he goes down to the front entrance and he picks up the basin and towel that are there and he brings it back and he washes the feet of his disciples. And then he says, this, this is how life is to be lived as servants. Again, the looks of disbelief appear on the faces of the inmates as they listen to the story. And Richard said, you're, you're not buying this, are you? And, and they shook their heads. And, and they said no. And they began telling their stories of how evil continues to win out time after time after time. But Richard wasn't deterred. He asked, has anyone acted like Jesus acted in this story? And there was a long, long silence. And then Mr. Garcia raised his hand, and he was an imposing figure. Richard thought that he would simply repeat what had already been said. You can't do that in here. But he didn't. He began telling a story about how he helped his cellmate. His cellmate had had a brain injury, and when he entered into the cell for the first time, Mr. Garcia noticed some things were different about him. He needed help just making it through life in prison. But one of the things that, that was quite unusual was he never took off his shoes. Mr. Garcia asked him why, and, and the man refused to tell him. And, and this went on for weeks and then for months. And you can imagine what was happening to those feet, to the toenails, the smell, the ugliness that was going on underneath there. Finally, Mr. Garcia got him to tell him why. And the man was so embarrassed, he says, I don't know how to care for my feet. So Mr. Garcia instructed him to take his shoes and his socks off. He, he got a basin of water, and he soaked the man's feet in that basin, and they were awful. The smell was horrible. And he took, one of, he took a foot and placed it in his lap, and he began trimming the toenails, and he showed the man how to do it. I didn't know what people would have thought if they had walked by the cell, his foot in my lap like that. I would never have thought I'd be doing something like that. But I cut his toenails for him. The men were quiet. Finally, Mr. Garcia looked up at Richard and asked, is that an example of what you're talking about? Meekness is a dangerous stance not only in prison, but anywhere. Meekness is only weakness in Satan's world. In the kingdom of God, it's strength. The cross as a symbol of God's love has the power to crush the enemy, the resistance, the devil. The resurrection reminds us that the victory is won. One writer put it this way, and in that knowledge we find ourselves to be Sunday people, called to live in a world of Fridays. In that knowledge, we know ourselves to be Easter people, called to minister to a world full of Calvaries. Tim Hansel was a man who lived life on the edge. After a rock climbing accident, his existence was marked by pain and suffering. But this didn't keep him from living life to the full, a productive life, a flourishing life. 
But his physical brokenness reminded him and his wife that, that there was something coming, something more. He had placed his hope in Jesus, the resurrection Jesus. And when he died, his wife Anastasia, which is a Greek name which means resurrection, asked that his ashes be put in a simple container. On the day she received her husband's ashes, the funeral home presented her the ashes in a very plain cardboard box. But written in bold letters on the box were these words, temporary container. Our friend Paul, who wrote so much about the resurrection, has this to say. For instance, we know that when these bodies of ours are taken down like tents and folded away, they'll be replaced with resurrection bodies in heaven, God-made, not handmade, and we'll never have to relocate our tents again. Sometimes we can hardly wait to move and we cry out in frustration. Compared to what's coming, living conditions around here are like a stopover in an unfurnished shack. And we're tired of it. We've been given a glimpse of the real thing, our true home, our resurrection bodies. The Spirit of God whets our appetite by giving a taste of what's ahead. He puts a little of heaven in our hearts so that we'll never settle for less. That's why we live with such good cheer. We don't, you don't see us drooping our heads or dragging our feet. Cramped conditions here don't get us down. They only remind us of the spacious living conditions ahead. It's what we trust in, but, not, but don't yet see that keeps us going. Do you suppose a few ruts in the road or rocks in the path are going to stop us? When the time comes, we'll be plenty ready to exchange exile for homecoming. The resurrection is not a piece of fiction, not a sleight-of-hand magic trick. It's a marvel. Resurrection is a person, Jesus. Speaking to Martha, at the time of Lazarus' death, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? The question you and I have to answer is, will we believe it too? If it's your desire to respond to Jesus this morning, I want to invite you to receive Jesus, the resurrection and life, into your heart, into your life. I have a prayer that I'm going to read for you, and then if that's your prayer, I'm going to pray it, and, and pray it in your heart when I go through it the second time. But this is the prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm overwhelmed by your love for me. Thank you, Jesus, for taking my brokenness, taking the brokenness, the sin and evil of this world and destroying it on the cross. I am broken. I've lived with my back to you. Forgive me for living a self-centered life. Raise me from my dead life and set me free. Fill me with your life-giving spirit. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. This is your prayer. Pray it along with me as I pray. Pray it in your heart. Heavenly Father, I'm overwhelmed by your love for me.
Thank you, Jesus, for taking the brokenness, the sin, and evil of this world and destroying it on the cross. I am broken. I've lived my life with my back to you. Forgive me for living a self-centered life. Raise me from my dead life and set me free. Fill me with your life-giving spirit. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. If this was your prayer this morning, I encourage you to tell someone. You've begun, you've taken the first step on an incredible journey of being a Jesus follower. We have Bibles in the corner by the cross there. In those Bibles, there, there are first steps of how to begin that journey and how to continue that journey. Come join us. You need a community to grow and come join us. We have many things that happen, not just only on, on Sunday morning, but through the week as well that will help you in this journey. We're going to have a prayer team up here at the end of the ser service. If you desire prayer this morning, if you want to pray with somebody, if there's a resistance in your life that you just need help praying through, I invite you to go to the prayer team. Jesus is risen. Amen.